0: Well, good morning. It is great to see everyone here, and it's great to be back with you this week. My family and I had a great time away uh, on vacation. We were over over near Lake Michigan camping a little bit. Um, Being out camping again reminded me that um, you never get too old to throw stuff in a campfire that you probably shouldn't. (laughs) It's amazing how long that can occupy a person. Especially with, with four boys there mimicking your every move. Um, if you have your bulletins, take them out. There's just a couple of things that we want to highlight. Of course, there's always more going on than what we draw attention to uh, here in the, in the service. So please read them carefully. But uh, I, I want to especially just celebrate that we're having a baptism tonight. And we've had this in the bulletin for a long time. But if this is the first time uh, that it's catching your attention, um, please know that you are invited. We would love to have you come to Larry and Judy's Pond, and there's uh, some directions in there on how to get there. We're going to have a picnic-style potluck at 5 o'clock. I know there's been a little bit of confusion whether it's at 5 or 6, but the the picnic-style potluck will be there at 5. Bring a dish to pass. Uh, If you have something you want to throw on a grill, you can bring bring that. There'll be a grill there. Um, Hopefully, if you're planning to be baptized, you've already spoken with me. Um, i've heard that sometimes there's some last minute additions, and so, if for some reason you are anticipating getting baptized, but you haven't had a chance to talk to me, please see me during the Sunday school hour come find me i'll be out there and uh um we'll we'll talk just a little bit in between the services about. Uh, what's going on and and make sure that you understand what you're getting into and and the decision that you're making. Uh, But I'm excited. I think we're going to have 10 or 11 uh, get baptized tonight. So please, if you are available, uh, join us for that celebration. Also, I want to point out as well that we are having a VBS this week. If you have not walked through the fellowship hall and seen just the, the creative decorations and the setup that's in there. Um, take a moment and take a look because kids are going to have a blast this week. But even more important than the fun that they're going to have is the message. The messages that they're going to hear uh, about Jesus Christ. And so be in prayer for, uh, with us uh, that God will bring out kids who have never heard the gospel that God would be at work in their hearts and, of course, their parents' hearts, um, and uh, just uh, celebrate that with us. Uh, There's an insert uh, in your bulletin that tells you a little bit more about how you can be involved and how you can help out. And then lastly, I just want to make mention uh, that if, if you're a visitor here today with us, we are so glad that you've joined us to worship and uh, we're, we're excited that you're here. If you would take just a moment, there's the connection cards, they should be in the, in the seat back in front of you or maybe under the seat, uh, just to fill them out so we can have a record that you're here. Uh, there's some offering envelope, or I mean some uh, offering trays in the back that you could set those in. Or better yet, if you take them to the Welcome Center out in the foyer, we have a free gift we'd like to give you and there'll be someone out there that would be more than happy to answer any questions you might have about Brown Corners Church. Um, we're just grateful you're here today. I'm going to take just a moment and pray for our time in God's Word together, and then we'll, we'll open up Colossians chapter 2. God, it is so good to be in your house today, so good to be with your people, and we wait upon you expectantly to hear from you. We ask that you would teach us uh, from your Word today and that your Holy Spirit would apply these truths to our hearts. God, uh, everybody here, myself included, need, needs to walk away from, from our, our time together with a, a special and a very clear and, and applicable word from you. And, and, and we're looking in anticipation for what that is, whether it's a word of conviction, whether it's a word of encouragement or challenge or exhortation. God, I pray that you would bring that to our hearts today and apply your truth. We pray for all the ministries that are taking place today, and, and especially for the, the children's ministry workers today, that you would bless them and, and give them the strength in the words as they, as they teach your word to uh, our children, and we thank you for all you're going to do, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, we're back in Colossians chapter two, and if you remember right, two weeks ago I preached like the the shortest sermon I've ever preached in my life, and then last week I was on vacation, so like I am amped up and ready to go. So <laughs> buckle in. I hope that uh, you weren't planning on eating anything during the Sunday or during the, the fellowship time because it's just just count on it being gone because we're we're going to be here. No. I, I'm going to try not to do that to you, but I am excited, and I've got some exciting things to share from God's Word. I, uh, I forgot to get the, the clicker from the guys in the back. Thank you, Tom. I appreciate it. He's on the ball. That's what happens when you go on vacation. <laughs> Thanks, Tom. <laughs> if you have your Bibles, join me in Colossians chapter 2, verse six, Verse 16. And I want to just say right off the bat, this is a a tough passage. Every commentary and Bible scholar I looked at this week uh, said that the the Greek in this passage is, is a very difficult to translate section of Scripture. And so as I read my Bible to you, probably more than any other week, uh, there will be some different, different language, different terms used because scholars just unanimously agree that this is this is a tough. The, the wording and the language that Paul uses uh, could go a few different ways when it comes to Bible translation, and I won't get into those details. But I just want you to know that as I read with you this morning, that if you say, "Man, is, are we reading the same passage here?" Don't don't fret. Um, it's just that the Bible translations differ a little bit more widely on this passage. But Colossians chapter two, starting at verse sixteen. Nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. And if with Christ you've died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they're used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self made religion and asceticism and severity to the body but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So here we are. We're about ready to conclude um, the first half of Colossians. And I just want to recap briefly. Colossians is kind of divided in half. The first two chapters are more doctrinal. They they're, they're more deal with the, the teaching aspect, what the Colossians need to know, the foundation that the rest of the book is going to be built on. And then chapters three and four are very, very practical. So if, if, as we've been studying Colossians, you think, Ah, it's, it's, it's good, but I, I need a little, more, some, a little bit more that I can take away. Um, just hang on, because chapter 3 and 4 are going to be immensely practical. I always, I always try to, to show you where all of God's Word is practical for your daily living. And when we get to chapters 3 and 4, there'll be no doubt in your mind that there are some really clear and, and maybe convicting applications for your life. Um, The main theme, though, as we go through the book of of Colossians, is the preeminence of Christ. Paul was setting Jesus Christ over and above any philosophies that might be presented to the Colossian Christians. And we're going to look exactly at what that was today, the best best that we can figure out anyway. And as we we, uh, study today's passage, my goal is to try to be as clear as possible about what the Apostle Paul was dealing with as he was trying to combat the, the teachings that he saw coming their direction. And I want to I show where maybe these teachings emerge in our culture and give us some specific application on how to handle some of these problems. So it was Paul's goal for the Colossians to recognize that they had received everything that they needed in Christ. There was absolutely nothing lacking. And that they would recognize that the rival teachers coming in offered nothing but a reversion to the slavery of their former bondage. And so right off the bat in verse 16, it says, therefore, let no one pass judgment. He uses that word therefore to point back to the previous verses about Christ's completed work on the cross. And he says, because everything has been finished for you, because Christ's blood was a perfect sacrifice for you, that that the work is finished, because of that, Let me tell you how to handle these false teachings that are going to come your way. And we talked about before that Paul is offering more of an inoculation rather than dealing with people who have dove headfirst into false teaching. Other books that he teaches, other books that he writes, he's dealing a little bit more with uh, those who have already indulged in those beliefs and already have jumped in headfirst. And so the title of this message is Preventative Medicine, because we want to we ourselves think about ways that we can avoid uh, buying into heresy and false teaching. And uh, Warren Wearsby tells a story about a pastor who was concerned about some unsavory businesses that had opened up near a school. His protest finally led to a court case and the defense attorney did all he could to embarrass the gospel minister. He said to him, are you a pastor? The lawyer asked. And doesn't the word pastor mean shepherd? And to this definition, the minister agreed, well, if you're a shepherd, why aren't you taking care of the sheep? His reply was great. He says, because today I'm fighting the wolves. And what a good answer that was. Part of the pastor's job, part of Paul's job, was to help look out for the sheep and to be aware of the wolves lurking in the shadows. I'll never forget where I saw this uh, most clearly as a young teenager. When I was about 14, we started attending a different church church. And uh, right, at one, of the, one of the first couples I meet that great, greeted our family at the door, um, they, were, they were relatively new Christians, I found out. They got saved a little bit later in life, and they'd been Christians for about a year. And they were just on fire. They were getting involved in ministry, and the, the joy of the Lord was evident in their life, and great things were, were not only just happening in the church, but it was, it was neat to talk to people who had been watching them grow over the course of this year. But soon after my family and I got there, all of a sudden, uh, we didn't see them anymore at church few more weeks went by, and, and they were gone, and, and, and everybody's kind of like, you know, have, have, you to, have you talked to this couple? Do you know, do you know what's going on? Do you know where they are? And I'll never forget one Sunday, Pastor, pastor Dick Cross, our pastor there. I'm, I was just a teenager, usually didn't pay attention to most of the sermons, but I'll, I, w- I will never forget the tone of this particular sermon. It was the most shepherd-like sermon I've ever heard in my entire life. Because he got up from the pulpit and he said, I want you to know where this couple has gone. And I want you to know why they're not here anymore because I want to make sure that none of you follow them. And everybody's on the edge of their seats. I mean, you don't hear a sermon like that very often. And apparently there was a a traveling teacher in the area who was preaching a different gospel, not faith in Christ alone. And I don't know the details of his teaching. Uh, Maybe the pastor shared that and I don't, just don't recall it but I do remember this that, that he warned us like his flock and he said be on the lookout be aware don't be led astray I just remember just my heart being drawn in because I could see his love for the people I could see how much it had broken his heart as, as this, this couple new in the faith had wandered away and followed after false teaching. And I, I think that's Paul's heart here. He says, listen carefully. Pay attention so that you're on the lookout for what's coming your way. Well, what was it that was coming their way? And, and that's, that's a great question because Bible scholars are just divided over what exactly was happening in uh, Colossae. Uh, If you Google the Colossian heresy, you will get all kinds of different scholarly opinions because we're just not really clear. But the the best that we can piece together from what he says in this passage is there's kind of some kind of a Jewish. Mixture, mixture of Judaism and, and folk religion. Uh, there was legalism, there was mysticism, there was asceticism, and we'll talk about what each of those things were. It doesn't line up with any kind of a, a known, defined, false teaching that we've we've learned from throughout history. It was just kind of a hodgepodge of, of goofiness that had been brought together, but it had been beguiling some, and, and Paul said, I don't want you guys to get caught up in this as well. And so if you have your notes, this might be a, a good week to... Uh, to fill in the blanks, I think it will be helpful to write down some of these things. So as we're thinking about the preventative medicine that Paul is giving to them, first of all, he's giving a diagnosis. And I just want to divide it up, the the three things that I saw him bringing out. The first of which is legalism. He says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you, verse 16, in regards to food and drink or festival or new moon or Sabbath. This is, this is the makings of legalism, and I wrote down in your notes that legalism is living by man-made rules and often looking down upon those who don't measure up. And there's different levels of legalism. The, 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 the most basic level are those who, who want to who do works to earn their salvation. That's probably the worst form of legalism because it, it means you're not a Christian. If you think you can get to heaven by your own good works, you've, you've changed the gospel the Bible says that we're, we're saved not by the works that we've done, but according to God's grace in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. And so that's probably the, the, the most terrifying form of legalism, but legalism can also take other shapes as well. For example, uh, legalists um, will, will, make up, will make up rules and then require other believers to submit to their man-made commandments as if it's God's law. And accordingly, uh, of course, our mind goes back to the Pharisees immediately, and we think about how they attacked Jesus and the disciples for not following the rules about healing on the Sabbath, for example, or uh, washing their hands or avoiding sinners. And Jesus just let them have it when it came to this stuff. Uh, he, he made it very clear that, that the, he says, you're, you're teaching, as the commandments of God, the doctrines of men. You're creating these own, your own rules and regulations, and then you're putting them up here on, 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 on par with God's law, and he let them have it about that, and we do that too as Christians, right? We've got these rules and regulations that we'll, we'll create for ourselves, and then often we look down on others when, when they can't measure up themselves. And then another, another form of, of legalism is, is trying to obey God and do good in order to retain His favor. We may believe that we get saved by faith alone, but if, if we really expect God to be pleased with us, if we really expect God to accept us, then we better measure up or else. Now, maybe some of you had, a, had, had parents like that, but I want you to know that your heavenly Father is not like that. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior and you don't measure up, which none of us do on any given day, he is not going to turn his back on you. He's not going to give up on you. He's not going to forsake you. He expects you to repent and confess your sins and turn back to him. But the great thing is is that we don't have to rely upon our behavior to measure up or earn God's acceptance. So legalism can be a very, very destructive disease if we're not careful and on the, on the lookout for it. Um. Some of the ways that that might show up in our, uh, well, it, some of the ways it showed up here was, he said, let no one pass judgment uh, on questions of food and drink. So they were regulating what they could and couldn't drink. They were judging them if they drank certain things. I'm assuming maybe alcoholic beverages. Uh, Paul deals with that in 2 Corinthians as well and in, in Romans 14. Uh, he said, or with regards to a festival. So maybe some of, these, some of these Jews that had gotten saved were no longer keeping some of the Jewish festivals because they thought, hey, in Christ... I no longer have to do some of these things, and, and they would have been right. But some of these false teachers were coming along and saying, oh, no, 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 you still got to keep these holidays. You've still got you to show up and, and go through the sacrifices. And uh, um, He talks about the Sabbath, uh, what day they met. We know from the book of Acts that the Christians started meeting on the, on the first day of the week on Sundays, and some of them were getting, getting a hard time because they didn't meet on the Sabbath on Saturday. And um and, Modern day uh, Seventh Day Adventists would believe that we we need to meet on on Saturdays, and that's that's fine if you want to choose to pick a particular day of the week and meet that day. But be careful lest you start imposing that on others and look down upon others who don't meet that same day. Now, maybe for you guys, and maybe for us, all of us here, maybe it's not it's not so much we're not wrestling with with the, the Sabbath and and Jewish festivals, but maybe it's maybe it's other things that we've. Imposed uh, rules and regulations on our life. Maybe it's it's uh, looking down on others because they don't they don't ha- they don't spend as much in their quiet time in the morning as you do, or they don't have it a particular time of the day. Right? Every godly person does it first thing in the morning. Right? We all know that. Maybe it's uh, some of these will be touchy. Maybe it's hunting on Sundays. Going hunting on Sundays. is it right or wrong to go hunting on Sundays? Some of us some of us might have. Fast, hard rules about that. And, rec- and, and we say, of course not. God would be angry if I hunted on a Sunday and I skipped church to go hunting. I'm not necessarily advocating that, but uh, maybe, maybe it's um, certain movies you don't go to. No Christian would ever, ever see such and such a movie. Or no Christian would ever go to a restaurant that serves alcohol. No Christian would ever drink alcohol. Except for somehow you got to explain that that was Jesus' first miracle was creating alcohol, but that's a whole other <laughs> sermon. No Christian would ever. You can fill in the blank. I had this great booklet. I was looking for it this week. I couldn't find. It. I know it's somewhere in my in my treasure of of books. And it's um it was from the I want to I want to say it's from the fifties. And it's um it's a book on Christian youth entertainment, and what is what is allowed and not allowed. And it's fantastic. They have, they have red light activities that are under no circumstances are they okay. There are yellow light activities, which under certain circumstances may be acceptable. And Then there are green light activities. And I still remember laughing because under one of the yellow light activities is um, roller skating. <laughs> and so immediately my interest was piqued. Roller skating may be wrong at certain times. And so I read the section, and basically his argument was, he said, if your youth group rents the entire rink so that there are no non-Christians there, and if you can guarantee that the only music that will be played are, and I quote, good Christian marches, (laughs) then that would be an acceptable activity. But if you go and they are playing the devil's music, or there may be non-Christians there who are gyrating a bit too much on their roller skates, then you definitely want to avoid it. And we laugh at legalism like that, but there are other ways that we allow rules, our own created man-made rules to creep in, and we begin to put them on par with Scripture. And, and, and Paul's writing to these Christians. He said, be careful about this. Know God's Word. Be careful about imposing your man-made re- Be careful, first of all, about creating them, and, and then be careful about imposing them on others. I still remember going off to Bible college, and I was racked with guilt because I didn't have a car, and I had too much homework, and I just couldn't get to Wednesday night prayer meetings at the church I was going to. And I just remember having this this awful empty feeling in my stomach that, that God was no longer happy with me. I went Sunday morning and Sunday night, but I couldn't get there. I couldn't get a ride on Wednesday nights. And I just remember thinking, I know I'm back in my dorm studying God's Word, but... I just knew that that's what I was supposed to do. That's what we did growing up, and I knew that's what I was supposed to do. I just felt so guilty about it for, for quite a while until someone showed me, listen, you've, you've created a rule. There's nothing in Scripture that says you must be at Wednesday night prayer meetings. Are prayer meetings a great idea? Sure, of course they are. Going to church, great idea. But should you beat yourself up with it? Should you, should you pour guilt upon yourself if, if it doesn't? If it's not able to happen? Again, we've got to watch out. And be careful about legalism. These next two, I'll just mention a little bit more briefly because they're a little bit tougher to nail down. Um, The second one is mysticism. And that's the idea that a person can have an immediate experience of the spiritual world apart from the Word of God or the Holy Spirit. And um, I want to be careful here because there's, there's, um, of course, to our relationship with God, there's a a definite uh, subjective part. There's feelings and emotions and experiences involved. When, when, uh, when I look around and I hear, as, as we're singing our worship songs, I can definitely sense that there are people who have any experience with God as they worship Him. And that's, that's all good and biblical. It's all good and biblical. It's all part of worship. Maybe as you're at home and spending time in the Word, you just sense a nearness to the presence of God that you can't put into words and you can't explain to people that's not what I'm talking about here. This is, this is mysticism that is, that is apart from God's word. And if you look at verses, um, verse 18, he says that these people were, were uh, worshiping angels, going on in details about visions, puffed up without reason in their sensuous minds. So basically what they were doing was they were elevating the spirit world beyond a, a place that it needed to be. There was worship of angels. This, uh, one writer says that, they were, um, that Paul was referring to the magical invocation of angels to ward off evil and believes that such a practice had its roots deeply ingrained, ingrained in folk beliefs and habits. So they, what they were doing is looking as angels as their special protectors, and they were, they were praying to them. Uh, most likely anyways as best we can tell, and worshiping them and and frankly that that mentality is even existent today. I read a quote by Nora Ephron who was uh you know many uh, she wrote screenplays for Sleepless in Seattle and some of those those great uh, great love love stories <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and uh she said, what people, this, is, this is a genuine quote. Uh, what people can't stand is, everyone wants to believe that God notices you, that he notices the details. Listen to this. The horrible truth is that he probably doesn't notice. He's got more important things to do, but angels do notice. You know, they make the tow truck come when you have a flat tire. That's a quote. There, there are people... In, in our culture, they have just an unhealth, and angels are real, but they're God's created beings and they're messengers. They shouldn't be prayed to. They shouldn't be worshipped. Uh, they should never be bowed down to. They're merely servants and messengers of God. And we've got to be careful about, in our culture, of, of having an undue uh, 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 or a high view of, of, of angels and their role. Um, and uh, he, he mentions going on in detail about visions. Some people place way more emphasis on, on dreams and visions than they do on Scripture. Listen, Scripture is where we, we learn what God wants for us. I'm not saying that God can never speak through dreams and visions. I won't, I won't go that far. But I will say that He rarely does it. This is His primary avenue of communicating His will to our lives. And if we want to learn from him, we want to hear from him, go to this book. Don't ask for a dream. Don't ask for a vision. Go to this book. Go here and, and study his word. Ask him to help you understand it and, and see what the message is. And, and I, I, I know this is probably going to offend people, but I, I, you really have to be very careful about these um, after uh, li- uh, life after death um, and, and bend to heaven type books, been to hell type books that are just all over the Christian bookstores today. Listen, I know that heaven is for real because God's word says so, not because a little boy went there and came back to tell about it. And I know that offends some people, but we have to be very careful that we don't start putting our weight in people's visions and experiences over and above what God's word teaches and he says that these people here in the, in the first century church, they were going on in detail about visions, about things that they'd experienced. And he, he points them back to, he says, I'm, I'm, he says they, they need to hold fast to the head. They need to get their focus on Jesus Christ. And so lastly, he mentions asceticism. And I, this is so tied into um, to legalism that we won't spend much time here. But asceticism is the pseudo-spiritual position that, rev, uh, that revels in the rules of physical self-denial. And, and the way that it differs a little bit from legalism is legalism adds to God's word. Asceticism takes stuff away. If you really want to be spiritual, then you'll abstain from this and this and this. In the Middle Ages, for example, um, uh, sex was looked at, even among among married couples, as an unholy thing. And so it was a teaching that crept into the church where where it was it was kind of like yeah we've got to do this to procreate but don't you dare enjoy it because it's 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 not godly i'm not kidding you and so really it took ironically it took the the reformation and and the puritans who have been falsely labeled as as the prudes it was the puritans that helped recover a biblical view of intercourse to say listen this is god this is created by god and intended for for pleasure as well as procreation it's a good thing when it's done within the confines of a marriage relationship yeah. it was the puritans that kind of helped restore that view to the church in the 1500s and 1600s and so there there are Teachings even to this day that say, listen, if you want to be truly godly, then you'll abstain from this. You won't do this, and you won't go here. And that's where he says in verse verse 23, almost kind of mockingly, he says, they say, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. You got to, don't do this, don't do this, don't go here, don't. And and, and Paul's saying, listen, that's not, that's not true spirituality. And so just briefly, I want to talk about the remedy as we... Uh, as we've given time to the diagnosis, it's important to understand what was going on, but I think it's even more important to understand how Paul was dealing with it. Instead of just saying, uh, avoid this stuff, he got to the root and and wanted to help them know how to avoid it. So first of all, he told them to be on their guard. In verse 16 and, and in verse 18, we have some imperative verbs. First of all, he says, let no one pass judgment on you. And then verse 18 says, let no one disqualify you. Those are commands in the Greek. He says, make sure that you don't let people judge you for your stance and don't let anyone disqualifying you saying somehow you're not a spiritual or a godly person because you're not doing it their way. And so we need to be on our guard. We need to have our eyes open to the to these, to way these teachings can creep in and, and uh, uh, sneak in. Um, how do you deal with legalism? remember that these things are but a shadow. These things are but a shadow. You know, when, when um, it's funny to watch a little child uh, discover their shadow for the first time and to chase it, and, and, you know, we've all seen Peter Pan and his shadow that got away from him, but it's fun to watch a little kid do that in real life and to kind of try to catch up. And uh, even to this day, I, I'll get excited in the sunshine and But we know that that, is, that truly is just a shadow. That's not the person. And Paul says it's like that with legalism. You're, you're, when, when, you, when you set up all these man-made rules and, and you give yourself the spiritual bubble um, to protect you from sin, and so you, I'm not going to go here, I'm not going to eat this, I'm not going to drink this, I'm going to make sure that I'm doing this every day. And uh, He's not speaking against discipline, but what he's saying is, is that when you give yourself all these extra rules, you're just dealing with the shadow. You're not dealing with the reality. And when we give ourselves all kinds of rules to follow to become spiritual, what we're dealing with is the external stuff and we're not getting to the heart. That's what Jesus got after the Pharisees for. He said, listen, God is not concerned about you washing your hands. He wants your heart washed because people can look good on the outside. You can can ban yourself from every single rated R movie that's ever been made, but never deal with lust, lust, and hatred that's in your own heart. You know that? Externally, you could say, wow, that person's spiritual. They don't, they don't, go, they don't go watch rated R movies. But inwardly, you know what's going on. See, the, the great thing about legalism is it gives you the feeling that you're doing something spiritual. And it gives other people on the outside the perception that you are spiritual. But it doesn't deal with the heart. And Paul says, stop dealing with the shadows and deal with the reality. Don't create rules to deal with external behaviors. Get to the heart of the matter. Go to the Lord in repentance and start there. Get to the heart and, and work, from, work out from, from there. The, the remedy that he has... Oh, I, I, I found this quote. I want to add this into the remedy for legalism. Um, David Garland wrote, The rules work like religious training wheels in that they may keep us from tipping over But they are also confining, for they will keep us from breaking free. I like that. I I thought that was good. They're like training wheels. They may keep us from tipping over, but they're also confining, for they will keep us from breaking free. Having rules in the head is no substitute for obedience from the heart. And then the next one that uh, we want to just give the remedy for is mysticism. And to that, Paul says in verse 19, To hold fast to the head. He tells them that they've lost touch with the head and and he's referring to the the metaphor that he uses Jesus Christ being the head of the church. And he says, "You've lost touch with that. You're out here doing your own thing and you're you're disconnected." You ever take, you know, you ever have a head cold or something and you take some Nyquil and 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 I don't know about you, but it, it feels like I think they actually had a commercial where your head was floating off like a balloon. You ever feel like that? When you feel sick and congested and stuffy and and, and Paul's saying that you've kind of done that spiritually. You've, you've disconnected. Your head's floated away. And you need to get reconnected to Jesus Christ. Rather than, rather than looking for dreams and angels to reveal uh, God's things to you, go to Christ. Stay connected to Jesus Christ. That's the, that's the source. He told, he told us earlier in the chapter that uh, in him were all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It's in Jesus Christ. You're looking for the meaning of life. You're looking for answers to life. You're looking for hope for what you're going through. Jesus Christ is where you're going to find it. Nowhere else. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are rooted in him. And we need to hold fast to the head. Hold fast to Jesus Christ. Don't get disconnected. And then asceticism. The two remedies I wrote down there are to be reminded that you died with Christ. Verse 20 tells us that uh, if you've died with Christ to the elemental of spirits of the world, why do you still submit to these regulations? You died with Christ. And, and if you want to explore this a little deeper, go study Romans 6 this week. Because in Romans 6, Paul lays out the theology of death with Christ. Tonight, when we have our baptism, we're going to symbolize the death and resurrection of Christ, our identity with Christ through baptism. That's why it's an important... Uh, uh, important step in your walk with Christ, but when you come to Christ in faith and you trust Him and you get saved, that happens spiritually inside of you. You, Romans six says you die with Christ and you're resurrected with Him spiritually, so that you're set free from the old way of doing stuff. And He says, I want you to to be reminded that that you're set free from all these laws. You died with Christ, and then and then verse twenty three is just so. So blunt, he says, And by the way, they're of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. You can make up all these rules. You can cut yourself off from all these different things. But in the end, they're not going to help you stop sinning. I don't know about you, but I've experienced that. I I battled with legalism for a lot of years, and I still see its traces uh, rearing its ugly head in my life to this day. And I learned after a while of beating my head against the wall And No matter how many rules I made for myself, I still went back to those sins. I still succumbed to the sins. He says they're of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. The Holy Spirit's enablement, working through God's word, that's what's of value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So the answer to legalism is the constant realization of the grace of Jesus Christ the answer to mysticism is an understanding of how, how profoundly we're related to Christ. And the answer to asceticism is reckoning that we have died and been buried and resurrected with Christ. And the answer to where it all, is where it all began, at the foot of the cross. These false teachers were selling a religion that looked good from the outside. It appealed to the eyes, but in the inside it was empty. It was devoid of life. You know, some of you have been to your doctor and uh, maybe you're a healthy person and your doctor has told you, hey, listen, I'll ask you those, those always painful questions that most of us have to say no to. How are you eating? Are you eating healthy? And are you exercising? And we all know that if we do those things, especially at the front end of life, when we get later on in life, it's going to help to some degree or another. We all, we all know that in our minds. Whether or not we do those things, we take the advice, that's a different story. But what your doctor is graciously offering you is, is preventative medicine. They're looking down the road, and they know that if I still keep pounding two flurries a day and not exercising at all, he's looking down the road, and he knows that there's going to be some heart trouble, maybe diabetes, who knows, whatever, down the road in my, in my future, but if I, if I make some changes here now through this preventative medicine, as I get further on in life, by God's grace, its effects will, will help give me a healthier lifestyle later on. And that's what Paul is doing here spiritually. He's giving these Colossians some preventative medicine. He's wanting them to be on the lookout for legalism, for heaping those rules on, for mysticism. We're looking for spiritual experiences outside the Word of God in asceticism where you're cutting yourself off from things that God said it's okay to do. And he's giving them some preventative medicine so as they, as they move further on in their spiritual journey, they'll, they'll be healthier and closer to Jesus Christ. And, and that should be our goal and our focus this week as we, as we open up God's word, ask God to reveal these things in our life that if, if any of these areas have creeped in and, are, and we're substituting them for genuine true walk with God that will become aware of them and will realize how we can root them out and replace them with a genuine, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Close with me in prayer. God, your word is true. It is living. It is active. It is powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword you tell us in 2 Timothy. And I, I am so grateful that as we open up scriptures, God, we can be confident that it's applicable, that it's Meaningful that even though this was written two thousand years ago to people that we've never met, in a in a culture that we've never been to, and in in a situation that that we weren't there and present for, that we know that today, in July of two thousand fourteen, that these truths are meaningful to us right where we're at. So God, I my prayer today is that we open up our eyes to see if these 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 heresies have. have have begun to creep into our life, if we've developed rules that we shouldn't have, that we're elevating to your word, if we're cutting ourselves off from things that are good, if we're relying too much on external experiences that are, that are not connected to scripture, God, I pray that we'd be aware of those things, we'd root them out, and that we would replace them with a, a walk by faith in Jesus Christ, relying on his, his power through the working of the Holy Spirit. God, I'm so excited about the baptisms tonight, and I just pray that you would bring a lot of people out to help celebrate with us the the life that these these, uh, men and women have in Christ. Some of them are new Christians. Some of them have been Christians for a while and just have finally decided to make this decision. I pray that we would have a, a great time of worship and celebration as we rejoice alongside of them. And I ask God that you would bless our Vacation Bible School this week. Bring kids to Jesus Christ, and it's in his name we pray, amen.